0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عقبة للمتقين ولا عذابا إلا على الظالمين والصلاة لله والسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمتسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهلة إلا ما جادته سهلة وأن تجل الحسن إذا شئت سهلة اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so, um, obviously, it's a blessing to be back in uh, Al-Hikmah Centre. It's a blessing to be back with uh, you, brothers and sisters. Um, uh, but subhanAllah, when I think about the last, I guess, maybe two years, yeah, probably about the last, even 12 months, but even just the last, any really, small period of time that I've actually come to Birmingham, then it's either for a class or some kind of absource. And twice, subhanAllah, I've come on behalf of uh, paying our respects and our condolences to Sheikh Ahsan um, on the loss of key family members. And uh, what I wanted to uh, do is just share maybe one or two minutes uh, with you, just some of my thoughts, um, as a reminder to myself and to all of you. You know, um, the Prophet Wasallam, You all know this famous hadith. The Prophet Wasallam said, amalu uh, illa That when the son of Adam passes away, when he dies, then his actions will come to a stop. They will actually just become cut off. That's it, because obviously they have no ability to actually do anything any anymore, other than for three. And the Prophet then said The three things are a continuous charity, a knowledge which benefits other folks, and a righteous child that makes dua for that parent, for that parent who passes. Now, Um, We all know this hadith. We all, you know, it's the most famous hadith in the bab, in the chapter, and um, in fairness, in fairness, if it ever came to a hadith that Muslims acted upon, this would be one of them. You know, I always see the religious communities, um, the very kind of basic level of a Christian or a very basic level Muslim always shines at the very beginning and at the very end. The practicing Muslims are the ones that carry on throughout life. But every <coughs> single Muslim and every single Christian has a christening, and a baptism, and an adhan in the ear, and an iqamah, and an aqiqah Everybody does that. Everybody is very kind of hyped up during the beginning part. They're all desperate to put their child on the right path to, to, to salvation, whether Jew, or Christian, or Muslim. Uh, and that's why I've always seen these acts, and I'm not surprised by many of them being actually not authentic from the Sunnah, right? I mean, there's a discussion around technique, there's a discussion around uh, other things, but the Azan, no doubt about it, it is weak. Iqama is fabricated in the uh, air of the left, etc., etc., and uh, uh, when you look at many of the Christians and their actions, they o- openly admit afterwards to only doing it in order to be able to apply for schools later on and to be able to achieve an actual status, so that they can have certain certifications later, etc., etc. And then these people will then live their lives, yeah, a, you know, on a complete jolly, with absolutely no care or concern for the world. And then at the end, then everybody then, uh, you know, comes out at the time of death. And, you know, everybody's there and they pray the Janazah. Not a single person knows the Dua of the Janazah, literally one in a hundred. And people ask the kind of sa- standard questions of, you know, can I make a Dua in English? How do I need to pray? What do I need to do? Etc. Etc. But they turn out. that Everybody feels, everybody feels something at these moments when people come on t- into this world and when people leave this world. Um, however, the people who are practicing, the people who are... Uh, who live their lives with a focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the next life they want to make sure that the in-between period is something real is a real quality deen is a real deen it's a a meaningful wholesome it actually is something of integrity i use the word integrity and not sincerity i say integrity because if you've already started off in this kind of manner with your child and you know and often you'll see even non-practicing parents, they get excited about their children when they pray. They see it as very cute. They teach them the words Allah Akbar. They send them to uh, a masjid to go and read the Quran or Qaeda you know, after school and so on and so forth. But it's not one of integrity. It's an empty, type of, an empty type of a propagation of deen. So when those people, they put an effort into their children, a real one, not only are they showing sincerity, they're showing integrity, they're showing loyalty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will, ne- he will never allow the hard work of the believers to go to waste. He will never allow the hard work of the believers to go to waste. And I want to say all of this because, um, you know, a lot of folks put us on a pedestal, right? Teachers, scholars, Imams they give us a lot more respect than we deserve um, for whatever reason and if for certain things we say for certain things we do for certain things that we've done maybe and sacrificed but i will tell you one thing i'll tell you one thing if you want to take a benefit from the passing of shaykh ahsan's father may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him and have mercy upon him and enter him into al-firdaws al-a'la without any questioning without any accounting allahumma Ameen. We believe in what we do. I don't think I will ever say something more important to you in your lives. We believe in what we do. And I say that because we are now living in a time where people are doubting their belief. Okay? Sheikh Ahsan is sitting here and four hours ago, we buried his father. Right? Literally. Right? And there's duroof, there's things to sort out. There's guests, there's there's rights of other family members, there's people who want comforting in the home, there will be other, you know. But he believes in what he does. I believe in what I do. The Muslims believe in who they are. We believe in the Akhirah. We believe there is something more important. We believe... That when it comes to what, what determines what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is beneficial, what is not beneficial, we truly believe. Whether it's accepted or not, that's, that's what we hope and pray for. But do we believe in it? Do we commit to it? Absolutely. There's not a single shadow of a doubt that we know that even at this moment in time right now, the very best thing that Shah Ahsan could do for his father is to carry on teaching the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this hadith will be the proof of it, the integrity of this religion will be the proof of it. We believe that the knowledge which Sheikh Ahsan passes on, which is through the efforts of his father, whether willingly, unwillingly, consciously, unconsciously, some people are very, very much involved in the educating of their children to go and further educate others. Others are passively. Some people never ever get to see their children's teachers or their education, but just pay for it. People are sometimes very, very involved. them. Some, some people are not. Some people don't even understand. Some people don't even have the ability to understand even what their their child is learning, but they have a desire that at least my child will get the best access, or I will ensure a certain level of emotional stability in the home, financial stability in the home. Others have a very clear idea, they're scholars themselves, they know exactly what they want their children to achieve. It doesn't matter. That is a knowledge that has come from the father. And it is a continuous charity because everything that 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 continues and that is benefited from that and it carries on and other people, yeah, and they tell others and they learn and they practice it themselves and they recall it and others and so on and so forth. And a lot of folks, they focus a lot on quantity here. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. I, I, I'd say it's a beginner's mistake that people focus on, on quantity. It's all about the quality. I used to look at, I remember... Just two of my teachers, I used to always get so angry. Angry with everyone. That why is no one else sitting here with me, sitting in this lesson? This scholar is blowing my mind. Every word he says is blowing my mind. People deserve to hear this. This scholar deserves more. He deserves more. There were three people for three years in that lesson and I used to just get so irritated. And I now look back and I think hundreds and thousands of people are benefiting from just those three people. That's not because of the excellence of the the three students of of which of one I was one of, but of the sincerity of the teacher who kept on doing it. That's what people miss. We've got this idea, you know, celebrity scholars, they only come out, yani, when they're paying paid and when there's huge audiences and whatever, whatnot. <laughs> you know, you know, this is a lonely game, bro. It's a lonely game. The leaders and the scholars and the prophets, lonely game, Nuh alayhi salam, lonely game, Ibrahim alayhi salam, lonely game, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu lonely game. It's a real lonely game. And to be a true believer lonely game and the prophet ﷺ said and glad tidings to those who play that lonely game glad tidings and yani there's no this is not a charge class there's no money being made here there is no profit there's no there's no, you know, the normal things you'd think people Yanni, come to turn out for and they're making it go and not, we're not gonna stop. We're gonna keep teaching every week and if it's only 10 <coughs> people in front of us here, and 10 people online, we're still gonna keep doing it. Whether this is Sheikh Hassan's first year, this is my seventh year, we're gonna keep doing it and carrying on. Because, you know what? Because we believe in its value, because we believe in the value of knowledge and we believe in the statements of the Prophet And that's something that's not praising ourselves or praising the scholars is praising Allah and His Messenger that they allowed us to enter into this amazing religion. It's praising them. And so what I wanna say to you right now so that you never ever forget, everybody who hears this and sees this, never ever forget what I'm about to say. We have the Haqq on our side. Believe in what you are studying. Believe in the community that you are a part of. You are blessed beyond your imagination. You are blessed beyond your imagination to be part of this community of believers. We are blessed that we have an opportunity after we lose our father that on the same day that we bury him, we go and we teach the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us and our family as a result of it. We know that there's not a single person on this planet that can benefit our father more than right now this very person here through this very action here, through the consequences of this very action, not a single person. And that's not just myself or Sheikh Asan, but that's every single one of you. Us as believers, we all have the ability to learn, to understand, and to be Muslim at every single moment, good times, bad times, and to respond in the way that Allah wants us to respond. Wallahi, this this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do, we need to believe. Because there is a lot of doubts out there, and a lot of people hating on the Muslims, and their aqidah, and modern issues, and X, and Y, and Z, and I want you to know that blessings and glad tidings to all of you folks who are feeling that pressure, but still hanging on. Because that is the whatever, those are the strangest to everybody else. And we're becoming increasingly strange. And so, it's difficult, of course it's difficult. And I congratulate Sheikh Hassan. And I don't praise him And it's not right to do that But uh, he knows I spoke to him before This is no biggie I just want you to think That you might be thinking You know it's amazing And at a certain level It is and it's polite to say that But I'll tell you Deep down it's not that amazing And he knows that He knows that Because I do the same thing I do the same thing And I know virtually All of the scholars Would do the same thing Because this is what we love This is what we love This is what we know helps. This is what we know helps us through it. This is what we know helps those who have passed because we believe. Back to that original opening statement. We believe and I want you all to believe. Everybody person that's come here to this masjid and keeps coming to this masjid and keeps up with the circle and not just the circle but any circle. Keep in the game and believe in the game because it's only gonna get tougher and the times are only gonna get worse. It doesn't become any easier. Believe in the game. It's a blessed game. It's what helps us in the most darkest moments and it's it will help those folks who are in dark moments. It really will. So listen, I appreciate you guys giving me that time just to share that as a reminder to myself and to yourself uh, and to everybody that's Yanni, part of this circle. Keep up with this class. It's a great blessing. It really is, all right? If you wanna take a kind of you know, cliched reminder, then look, nothing stops the teachers. So next time that you have some kind of reason that you think that, you know, I can't study or I don't want to do my little bit part today, then just put everything into context. That's a cheap line, by the way. I don't want to be able to use that cheap line, but it'd 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 be, you know, I'd be wasting the moment if I didn't use that cheap line. But it is true. Next time you're feeling tired, or I'll go back from work, or I've got an early start, or Mrs. is saying this, or the kids are saying that, or, you know, I've done this before, or whatever, I'm sure I know this. You know, all these are lame Shaitani excuses, right? They're just lame. And have some self-respect. Have some self-respect. And if it helps, then just think of your teacher and what he's going through. And, you know, he, he turns up. And all the teachers turn up. And teachers will turn up. I said it before. The problem is not with the teachers. The problem is with the students. There will always be enough scholars around the world. That everyone's asking where's the circles, where are the classes? They're always everywhere, always. Commitment is required, loyalty is required from students. It's a hard life, but it's a blessed one. Wallah, it's a blessed, blessed one. So, izakumullah khair to you all. Izakumullah <laughs> khair, Wa fakak Allah, wa nafa'Allahu bhi khair. Wa nasa'al qaboon, insha'Allah. Izakumullah khair, shahamullah khair. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi
1: wa uh, I want to thank Sheikh Abu Isa uh, firstly for coming from Manchester, attending my father's janazah and he was there at the graveyard very well as well and then he, uh, when he found out that the class was going ahead, he actually wanted to come and, and like start off the class and be here. So, khair. May Allah bless him and his family and his wealth and everything that is his. Um, the class that we had actually, subhanAllah, one of the things that um, when Allah plans something, it's done in a way that's beyond anyone's imagination, anyone's understanding, anyone's level of wisdom because we're speaking in our tafsir about his surah, as we all know, in which the Prophet is given an indication, a sign, and the hadith says, and uses the word Alama which means a signal and a sign that his time was coming to an end. And we've spent the last two lessons looking at verses number two as to what those signs were. Verse number one being the conquest of Mecca, verse number two being the acceptance of Islam in great large numbers and quantities of people across the Arabian Peninsula. And actually those two verses are uh, verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wa of his blessings and what he would accomplish, what he would come to achieve. See towards the end of his life as a result of all of his efforts of 20 plus years of da'wah, of striving, you know, Shaykh Isa said, the lonely game, all of that stuff that we know, that we've heard, that we've come across, that we are constantly reminded of. As a result of all of that, the punchline comes in number three, verse number three, the final verse. And that is what Allah now commands the Prophet to do. So this isn't going to be like our regular tafsir class because I wanted to just kind of like give some of my thoughts and contemplations over it. And maybe like the actual technical tafsir of the verse will leave till next week perhaps. Um, or maybe, you know, we can we can uh, delay it to another verse of a similar context in which we can come to, either way. Um, so what I want you to focus on now is, is what this verse actually means. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning verse number one, verse number two, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Then glorify the praises of your Lord and seek his forgiveness, for indeed he is the one who often Accepts repentance, Subhanahu wa Taala. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi is living a life and has lived a life up until that point, and will continue to live a life because a number of the scholars of Tafsir will say that the Prophet sallallahu after this verse, lived for approximately two years. After this surah, approximately two years he lived before he passed away sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The Prophet sallallahu has lived an amazing life in terms of his achievements, his accomplishments, and now this is, if you like, the crowning achievement conquest of Mecca, Islam is being accepted wholesale, Islam is spreading across the Arabian Peninsula, Islam is being accepted by those very people and those very tribes and those very communities that used to be ardent arch enemies of Islam, who only months and years before were were surrounding Medina in order to lay waste to all of the Muslims. Those same tribes and people and communities were opposing Islam by every single means at their disposal now they're the very same people who are entering into Islam willingly openly coming to the Prophet after the conquest of Mecca wanting to become Muslim the Prophet has achieved so much and now he's achieved and he knows and the Prophet obviously has prophesied this as we mentioned before that it's not just going to stop there but it's going to continue and carry on it's going to spread to the Byzantine Empire, to the Persian Empire, to different parts across the world. And we all all know of the hadith in this regard, including the hadith of the Prophet in which he said that there won't be a mud hut or a single house made of those different materials, except that Islam will enter into it. That's something which the Prophet knows. It's not just going to stop here, but it continues and it carries on. But what's amazing about this Surah and this third verse is what the Prophet sallallahu is being told to do now. What is it that he has to focus on? In these two odd years left in his life, sallallahu wasallam, where should his focus be? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands him to make more dhikr, to come closer to him, as if to prepare himself spiritually for the meeting with his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what it does is It brings everything into perspective, right? Brings all of his achievements, everything into perspective. Because as we know the Quran is not just for the Prophet to take personally and to benefit from personally, but it's for us as well, right? Me and you to take lessons from and derive lessons from for us and our families and our communities. The Prophet is being told number one, to prepare for his death and number two, the manner in which he should prepare for his death alayhi salatu wassalaam number one to prepare for his death number two the manner in which he should do so and that's where it relates to me and you right that's where it relates to us and our situation what is it that we're doing you know, we're familiar with the hadith the hadith of anas radiallahu an bukhari the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is giving a uh, khutbah in in some weddings of the hadith in Ibn Hibban and so on. He's giving a khutbah, an Arab walks in, a Bedouin man, he walks in, and as the Prophet is speaking, mid-sentence, he cuts him off and he says, O Messenger of Allah, Matas Sa'a? When is the hour? When is Yom Al Qiyamah? And the Bedouins, as we've said before in this class, they were people, didn't have the time, didn't have the luxury to come and spend weeks and months and so on. They had a question that they wanted answered, and because of their etiquettes, because of their nature, because of their personalities, they had a certain way of asking. When is the hour? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa carried on, middle of giving a sermon, giving a khutbah, and the man sat down. After he finishes, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi says, where's the man who asked about the hour? And he says, here I am, O Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and look at this answer, and it's a hadith that we all know, it's not like nothing new, but the answer to the question, is not what he's asking for, or what he, think he thinks he needs to know, but rather the answer to the question is to put everything into perspective. So the Prophet Sallallahu says, "Wa ma What have you prepared for it? As if the Prophet Sallallahu is saying, no, the question you should be asking is not when is al-qiyama qiyamah, when is the hour, the question you should be asking is what have I prepared for al qiyamah? for my own qiyam, which is death. What have I prepared for that time and that place? And the hadith continues, right? And this is where it's glad tidings, good news, right? Things that we can relate to. Because the Bedouin man isn't a senior companion, he's not a major companion, he's not there studying day in, day out. He's not the type of person who's giving you know, like sadaqah and charity, the way that Abu Bakr and Othman, and other companions are doing. Not a person who's memorizing the Qur'an day in, day out, and studying. And he even says in the hadith, in response, what are you preparing? He says, Oh Messenger of Allah, I don't have a lot of sadaqah, I don't have a lot of Sarah. I don't have those actions. It's not me. I don't have those big, amazing deeds that some of those companions managed to accomplish. But he says, what I do have is a love for Allah." And a love for his prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that's what i have and i think you know that's what shaykh abu isa was referring to i may not be anything amazing i don't have anything special i can't do much my resources my time my capabilities are limited depending on my dynamics my situation what's going on but what i do have is i have that firm iman i am a believer insha'allah, in a way that is strong and sincere as he said, with integrity. I'm a believer who stands up for what I believe in. And so when I believe something, and I consider it to be the truth, the haqq, I consider it to be the sunnah, I consider it to be the path that is most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if it upsets other people, disappoints other people, makes other people speak or whatever they may do, the dramas and politics that we have within our families, our communities, our societies, the wider society that we live in, irrespective of all of those issues. I will stand firm upon that because I know that that for me is perspective. It's preparing for the akhirah So the Prophet said to the man when he said this, he said, Al ma'a man ahab. A person will be with those that they love. And this is where you have that preparation. You have that context. You see, we lose people all the time. You lose your father, you lose your mother, you lose sometimes children, you lose your spouse, you lose friends, you lose people. What we believe as part of our iman, that's firm, strong, sincere iman, is that this parting is a temporary parting. If your iman is that strong and that solid, you know and we know and we accept that if we continue to do those righteous deeds, come closer to Allah, in that time and the effort then inshallah it's only a matter of time before we're reunited and that reunion won't be like any reunion that we may have experienced in this life which is fleeting and temporary and even if, if it may be happy for the first few moments a few hours it's going to turn sour because of one reason or another or something will always come up to make that reunion that happiness, that joy become a problem in some way shape or form the reunion of the akhirah that preparation where you want to be with your parents, your loved ones, your children, and insha'Allah with people who are greater than them. The scholars, the companions, the prophets of Allah, our prophet sallallahu wasallam, that reunion is one which is one of eternal bliss and joy and happiness. And so that's what you work for. And that's why one of the most amazing things when you look at the life of the prophet sallallahu wasallam, he passes away. And yes, it's a shock, it's such a shock to the system because you know, Umar has his approach and this companion does his thing and that companion does his thing. His reporter fell on his knees, couldn't even move, couldn't get up. Every single companion takes it as a shock to their system. But what the Prophet, and that's natural, that's human reaction, that's the way it is. Someone passes away that's extremely close to you, even if it's someone who's been ill and you expect that death, it still hits you hard because that's how life is every calamity, every hardship, every challenge. But what the Prophet did with his companions is he nurtured them in such a way, trained, educated them in such a way that they were able to bounce back stronger than they were before in some ways. Because there were companions, and this is what I find amazing, so inspiring, that there were companions who were promised, guaranteed paradise. And it's not just the ten that you have in the famous hadith, there were others as well who were given those glad tidings of Jannah. And it's the cast iron guarantee. Because the only one that can withstand that guarantee is the Prophet Sallallahu And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passes away. It's a cast iron guarantee. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, these are senior major companions. They've been there more or less from the beginning of Islam. They fought all the battles. And they've been there for the hardships and the challenges and the trials and they've been there every single step of the way, and now that the Prophet ﷺ has passed away, some of them perhaps you would think are justified, would be justified to say, I need to take a step back. Someone else should go and do this. I'm old. I've done my duty. I already have my Jannah. I have what every single one of us craves and desires, what our ultimate goal is, what we work for, what we worship for, what we spend so much time and effort for. I've already achieved it. But instead, what do you find? That those companions continue to excel. They continue to go from strength to strength. Abu Bakr, and then Umar, and then Uthman, and then Ali, and then all of those other companions They don't stop, they don't take a step back, they don't say, no, but, if, maybe. They don't use it as an excuse, because remember, Shaitan sometimes even makes the most legitimate reason an excuse for you to actually become distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Death, or calamity, or hardship, whatever it may be, all of them are legitimate excuses. Islam, in our religion, gives you a leeway with those excuses. You have certain things that you can do. Islam looks at that stuff. But when shaytan comes and he manipulates it in such a way, that now, instead of coming closer to Allah, you're driven further away from Allah azza wa that's what the Prophet warned us against. That's what the companions knew, they understood. And they knew therefore that they needed to continue more. Why? Because they want to be back with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's where they want to be, ultimately. Now that may take another 10 years in this dunya, another 50 years. And after death, only Allah knows, centuries, millennia, whatever it may be. But eventually, there will come a time and a reunion. And that's what they wanted. So you have those narrations of companions like Bilal رضي الله عنه when his deathbed is reciting poetry غدا نلقى muhammadan محمد وحزبة Tomorrow we're going to meet our beloved ones Muhammad and his companions Sallallahu الله عليه وسلم radiallahu الله عنه مجمعين you have the famous incident of Fatima عنها, she comes to her father the Prophet is in his final illness and he says something to her quietly and she starts to cry he says something to her again and she starts to smile and when she's later asked what did he say she says the first time he said that he was going to pass away and he made me cry and the second time he said that you will be the first one to come and meet me from my family you will be the first one and he made her smile and SubhanAllah, you know, if, if someone was to say that to us, you're going to be the next one to die. How would you take that? Right. Okay, so and so died, right, but You're next. Would it bring a smile? Would we feel happy? Would we have the confidence to think, okay, I'm next, I'm ready? And that's what the Prophet ﷺ, that's Islam. To prepare for a greater goal, for a greater objective, for a greater event than anything else. That's what we're here for. And yes, that doesn't mean that everything else is important. No, we know as Muslims, right? we don't have to go and start giving the clauses and oh, but you still have to be a good father and you have to get a job and you have to, we know that stuff, it goes with that same. But times like this, they pull all of those things back into perspective and they realign priorities and they let you reconfigure your own system to understand what is important and what isn't. Because we all know the sad truth is that if someone was to come to us today and say, Actually, you only have two months left, you only have six months left, you only have three weeks left, you don't even have 24 hours left, we would check out everything else out the window. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what plans we had, doesn't matter how much time and effort was put into, it, everything would be realigned. Because now you're working on a different time frame. And the track, the, the trap of shaitan, the trick, the way that our mind works, the way that we are, is that we because we don't have that definite timeline or even an indication we think we have forever years i'm only 30 i'm only 40. my father passed away he was 80. my father passed away He was 90. my mother didn't live to 100 and so we have this false sense of security and not every person gets that indication not every person is told you have only so much time left because we all know there were plenty of people only last week you had that stabbing by Greenland Masjid in the park. Young guy goes to the park and he's stabbed to death. And that's unfortunately the community that we live in. That's the time that we live in as well. No warning, young guy, I know someone, only like a few weeks ago, a brother, his youngest daughter, 18, 19, she died of cancer. No guarantee. It is a trap of shaitan that he makes us think that we have so much time. And so he makes us neglectful, right? And we've all heard the same stuff, right? I'll perform Hajj when I'm sixty. You know, I'll practice when I'm 40. I'll do this when I'm retired. Then I will think about priorities. But what times like this should do, and they do, to a certain extent, is that they boost that system, right? They make you quickly realize that maybe we don't have those times. We don't have those guarantees. And then it comes to that second part of the equation. And that is, what do you do? How do you prepare? What are you going to do? In order to prepare for that moment, whenever it comes, because if you're ready, you know, subhanAllah, my father was ill and he was in hospital before he passed away. So we had the time and we had the presence of mind and we had the ability to go and spend time with him and to do all of those things that we as Muslims should do remind him, say the Kalimah, remind him of Allah and His mercy and so on. But that's not necessarily the case. It's not necessarily that we ourselves will have the opportunity that someone will come to us and say, oh, say La ilaha illallah, you only have a few moments left, a few hours, a few days. I have that guarantee so when death strikes them, you know that it's from the signs of al Qiyamah. the prophet ﷺ told us الفجأة, which is sudden death unexpected death it will become more common one of the signs of al qiyam becomes more common so when that happens what are you prepared to do how are you preparing yourself and so the prophet ﷺ is told number one get ready the hadith in al-bukhari and, and we'll go through some of this in more detail aisha she says that when the Prophet was given this surah, this verse was revealed, he would start to read it in his ruku and his sujood. And he would say, Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik, Rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma And he would read this in his ruku and in his sujood. And she says, Yet ha Quran. He would interpret the Quran. Because Allah is saying, Your time is coming to an end. Glorify Allah praise Allah, seek Allah's forgiveness. So he made it into a dua, a dhikr that he would read in his ruku and sujood from this moment onwards until the end of his life. Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdika Allahumma aghfilli. And that hadith is in Al-Bukhari. And the scholars of tafsir say that, she says ta'awala al-Qur'an. He made an interpretation, a tafsir of the Quran. And the scholar said that means two things. Number one, that yes, he gave an interpretation. This is what that verse actually means. That this is what he should do, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, you know, it's a practice, therefore, that we should also have, and it's a du'a that you can read in your in your ruku' and in your sujood. But number two is that it's a practical application of what it means. Preparation for death, being ready. Prophet didn't read that and say, Oh, I still have like some time. You know, I just need to he understood that. And he placed it in his ruku'an and in his sujood. And in the, the hadith also of Aisha, radiallahu anhu, in Sahih Muslim, she said that when the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, this surah was revealed to him, he would often say, not just in salana, often say, meaning generally, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh. And he would make that dhikr over and over again. And then she said, because he said, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, my Lord sent me a sign. And he told me that when this happens, that I should do and say this dhikr. And then he recited Surah Al-Nasr from beginning to end. So Allah Azza wa Jal is commanding the Prophet wasallam to prepare for his end, to prepare for his death not only to prepare, but the manner in which he should prepare. And that manner is to make the speech of Allah Azza to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the word subhanallah, to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is when you absolve and you remove from Allah Azza every deficiency, every weakness, everything that isn't befitting to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in Islam, when you uh, remove those absorb Allah Azza wa Jal from those deficiencies and those weaknesses you at the same time are affirming for Allah perfection because simply to take away deficiency isn't necessarily a good thing you say to someone you're not you know he's not lazy not necessarily a good thing it's not necessarily praise okay he's not lazy but it doesn't mean he's anything great anything amazing you're just negating something but when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we say subhanallah and we negate from him deficiency and weakness we are also at the same time affirming for Him perfection. And that perfection, therefore, and often in the Quran, you'll find that Allah Azzawajal merges the two, or He links the two, or He couples the two, the tasbih and the hamdah. Making, saying subhanallah, glorifying Allah, and then praising Allah, because together they are more complete. So Allah Azzawajal often does this in the Quran. Subhana rabbika, rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Ala alameen, right? Allah Azzawajal brings the Tasbih and he brings the Hamd of him subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Prophet وسلم, is told to prepare in this manner, to come closer to Allah Azzawajan. And like the hadith shows us of the Bedouin man who comes into the masjid, that doesn't mean that you have to live a life of, of being a monk. It's not our religion. And it's not something which is even allowed in our religion to forgo our rights and the rights of those people and we say no, we're just going to live a life of abstinence and a life of ascetism and a life of piety and we're just going to become and we're not going to do it that's not our religion it wasn't the practice of the prophet not the practice of any of his companions but one thing you will always find with those people is that they were ready always and not just them but then the generation that comes after them in terms of the scholars the tabi'een and then there's students after them and the great imams the four imams imam bukhari imam muslim all of those great personalities the names that we hear over and over again they had that understanding of i need to be ready and the way that we are ready is like the prophet is doing learning what allah loves learning what will benefit him learning what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from him and then incorporating it into our daily life that's what you do the Prophet ﷺ is told, this is how you prepare for death. What does the Prophet do? He makes it into a dhikr, and obviously, you needed the lead for some of this stuff. You can't just start going and doing your own thing. But the point is that it's already been done for you. You can incorporate it because it's already been mentioned how in the Quran and in the Sunnah. He takes it and he incorporates it into a dhikr that he can read in his ruku' and in his sujood and just generally throughout his daily life. That's what he does. And that's what the Bedouin man is, told, is is saying. That's what he's being told, because he can't do much more. He lives in the desert, can't be a student of knowledge, doesn't have much money, can't be extremely charitable, can't be very generous. You know, isn't a fighter. Not going to probably go on jihad because the Bedouins weren't really part of that when the companions used to go. weren't part of that of that setup. Doesn't have anything. But what he does have is that strength of iman. And so the Prophet didn't say, "Well, you know, that's not very good, is it?" no sadaqah no salah nothing <coughs> but rather he chose what he could do and the prophet ﷺ made it positive i love allah O oh i love allah and i love his messenger so a person is with those that he loves and we mentioned i think it was last week the hadith of the other man who comes in and he says "O oh messenger of allah you know the bedouin man who came in and was rough one of the delegations that came and he said did allah command you that we have to pray five times a day Ramadan, Zaka, Hajj, and then what does he say at the end? By Allah, I won't do more and I won't do less. Can't do any more, but I'll do what the basics are and I'll leave. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say? He's successful. If he does that, he's successful. And that's because that's what he's, and the more that you do, obviously, the better. But it's about taking it and being able to incorporate it into your daily life, learning what it is that you can do that brings you closer to Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the most effective way. And if you have to think about that in business terms, then do so. Maximum profit for minimum spend. What's the minimum amount of effort that I need to put in to get the maximum return? Right? And I think that's what Shaykh Abu Isa was speaking about when it comes to, instead of quantity, 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 quality. The Prophet, for example, left his house for Fajr. And he came back a couple of hours later and his wife was still sitting in the same place after fajr making her adhkar and he said to her have you been sitting here all that time from fajr throughout the morning i've prayed and i've gone out and i've done x y and z and i've come back and you're still in the same place making dhikr mind you not just sitting there idly not just sitting there doing nothing not just sitting there wasting her time not just sitting there quietly she's making dhikr of allah and she said yes O messenger of allah he said, I said a few statements, that those statements are equal to everything that you've been doing. Subhanallah wa bihamdih, adada khalqih, waridha nafsi, wazina arshi, wa midada kalimati. And again, look at the tasbih and the hamd. And if you look throughout the sunnah, you'll see that when the hadith speak about the virtues of saying subhanallah and alhamdulillah, either individually or coupled together, are amazing making that short statement, right, which is part of the morning azkhar, making that literally, like what was that, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, was greater in reward than hours of making dhikr throughout the morning. And then you have the other hadith, the last hadith for example of Sahih al-Bukhari, the hadith in which, with which Imam al-Bukhari completes his sahih, إلى الرحمن على اللسان في الميزان سبحان الله wa سبحان الله العظيم Two statements, extremely beloved to Allah, heavy in the scales, light upon the tongue, subhanallah wa Bihamdi, subhanallah al-azim. And you have other that, inshallah, maybe if next week we go through in more detail, we'll go through some of But those virtues are known. It's not like no one knows, it's not like it's something, it's okay, It's not like it's something which no one knows, we haven't come across. Using what you can, in the way that you can, in the manner that you can, and that's what it comes down to. For me, that might be teaching. For someone else, it may be to do with money. For someone else, it's to do with what they can do in terms of serving people in their community. Whatever it is. And remember that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ were not robots. They weren't people who were replicas of one another. Right? Clones, that's the word, right? They weren't clones of one another. Not everyone was Abu Bakr, not everyone was Umar, not everyone was Uthman or Ali or any of those other companions. Every single one of them was their own individual, with their own personality, with their own strengths and weaknesses, with their own issues and problems and dynamics, with their own things that they could positively contribute, but at the same time their own drawbacks because they were humans and because they had things that they were able to do. And the Prophet, وسلم, what makes him the amazing leader and man, and obviously the Prophet that he was, was being able to understand that and direct each one in the way that they would be able to maximize their own path towards Jannah. For someone like Hassan, عنه, he's a poet. That's all he has. He's not known to be a courageous man. You know, there are some narrations that even say that in the in the Battle of Ahzab, when the Confederates came and they surrounded Medina, he was with the women, he was one of the gods of the women. He wasn't even in the trench digging and he wasn't even fighting on those front lines. It's not his strength, it's not his thing. And even so, it's not a bad thing, it's not a negative thing, it's not something which he was ridiculed for, it's not something which he was criticized for, it's not something which is rebuked for. But rather what he does have is eloquence, poetry. And so the Prophet would say to him, fight them with your words. They have poetry, they say stuff about us, they claim certain things, you have that eloquence that Allah Azzawajal gave you, you do the same thing and you return that. And that's what the Prophet Sallallahu did. Those famous companions that you know, you know like we you know for example there were companions who were generally never used to spend every single moment of the day waking time with the Prophet Sallallahu because they were told to go and work. And they had families and they were you know they had even Umar radiallahu anhu was one of the most scenic companions we know there was a period of time a long period of time he would only spend every alternate day with the Prophet sallallahu one day it's him one day it's his friend they meet in the evening we you know the story but then and this is Umar, but then you have someone who comes along like Abu Huraira and Abu Huraira doesn't work doesn't have a job doesn't have income is extremely poor Narrations about how hungry he would go, how thirsty he would go, nothing. But does the Prophet say, oh Abu Hurairah, you need to get a job, you should go and work? No, he allows him to spend the four odd years that he spends with the Prophet, he narrates more hadith than any of the companions, any other of the companions, because that's his strength, his memory, his ability to study, his knowledge, he's tuned in that way. And so the Prophet leaves him because that's what he needs from him. And then there are companions like Ubay ibn Ka'ab. Ubay ibn Ka'ab is a master of the Qur'an, proficient in the Qur'an. So now when the Prophet is receiving revelation, which companions is he going to? And we mentioned like these narrations before, right? which companions is he going to to make sure that they hear the Qur'an, understand the Qur'an, memorize the Qur'an. They're the ones that will go and teach other people. It's not every companion. It's Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Zayd ibn Thabit, Salim, the Mawla, blah, blah, blah. certain companions. You don't have all of the companions certain people this is their strength and then you have the people that have the money and you have the people of courage and bravery the military leaders and then you have and every single person has their role to play even to that famous hadith that we've i'm sure all heard of of the woman who used to clean the masjid she would come and sweep the masjid during the night what happens she passes away the Prophet ﷺ comes the next day, says, Where is she? I can't see her. They said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, she died last night. And you were sleeping, and we didn't want to disturb you. So we washed her, and we shrouded her, and we buried her. We prayed over her, and we buried her. So the Prophet ﷺ went to her graveyard, and this is one of the, one of the proofs to say that if you miss the janazah, it's allowed for you to go to the graveyard and to pray a janazah over, or to pray the janazah prayer over that deceased person. He went to the graveyard and he prayed. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because she is famous, she's not well known, but she had a role to play. That's what she excelled. And so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam knew the strengths of every single person. So Allah Azza wa Jal, in this surah, concluding this surah, is telling the Prophet number one, to prepare. And number two, the manner in which he should prepare. And this is, I think, the lesson that we should take not only from in recent events, but especially from this surah. And that is how and what are we doing to prepare? How prepared are we for that moment when it comes? And if we're not, because none of us are prepared. None of us are prepared. You know, like you said about certain scholars of the past, if they were told that they're going to die today, die tomorrow, they wouldn't be able to do anymore. Because they're already doing so much. None of us, none of us sitting here is anywhere near that level. But then what are we doing? And remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards intention and it rewards sincere effort, and it rewards that level of integrity, that level of Iman, because that intention is extremely heavy on the scales. So yes, you may not always get to do it, yes, it may not always be so easy, yes, you may not always be successful, but you have that firm conviction and you're reminding yourself and you're you're dealing with that situation when it comes every single situation what you have to do is try to stop take a step back and say to yourself what do I do here that will give me the best outcome in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because in situations what we usually do is we think how will I get through this in a way that will keep people happy in a way that will get me some money in a way that I won't lose so much in a way that people won't speak ill of me and we have, and that's, by the way, not, not really a bad thing or nothing wrong with that because those are things that you have to the considerations. But where in that equation is the question, what does Allah want from me, most, man? What does Allah want from me? Which path, which option, which choice, if I take it, will bring me closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And if most of us thought like that, we just took that step back, just that momentary, uh, that moment of reflection, we took a couple of minutes, we just calm the situation, we step back, we thought about it, not only would our own personal lives be different and the lives of our families, our communities would be different. Our whole community would change simply by us changing the way that we think. As Allah says in the Quran, hatta Allah never changes the situation of a people until they first change their own situation. How can we expect as a community, as an ummah, to come closer to Allah, to be stronger? All of those things that everyone wants and that people are always arguing and debating about. When the, when the moment comes to me, myself, personally, and my family, the last thing I think about is what did Allah want? What did the Prophet ﷺ say? The last thing I think about is what pleases Allah. But then I'm upset when the rest of the ummah doesn't think that way. When our leaders, the Muslim leaders, don't think that way. When scholars for whatever reason maybe do something and we don't understand, we think that they're thinking and doing things in a certain way. The me and you, when it comes to us, that's the last thing in our minds. And so the Prophet always led by example. As we know, that's his role as a Prophet, as a messenger, to teach people by example. Now the vast majority of the companions, as we know, didn't tune in to the fact that the Prophet is about to pass away. There's a hadith, we have this hadith in of Aisha, we have the hadith that we mentioned before of Abdullah bin Abbas We have those narrations, there were companions, Umar عنه, from that narration understood, Abu Bakr has the narration, he understands, but that's like a handful, a dozen, two dozen, a few. The vast majority of companions aren't tuned into the fact that now his time is coming to an end. Not something, or even if they are and they understand, it's not something which they... Have that you know it's not something which they're really expecting to happen so soon, so they don't necessarily have that understanding of what the surah is referring to because that narration of Umar radiyallahu ibn Abbas shows that many senior companions' their understanding of what the surah referred to wasn't the same understanding as ibn Abbas and Umar anhu. They had differing opinions. Some of them just stayed quiet because they didn't know or they didn't want to say. However. Despite that, despite them not knowing that preparation is always there. They can see the Prophet ﷺ is preparing. And they themselves are then preparing. Because that's what happens when you lead by example. When you lead in a certain way, your family, the people that are closest to you will see that. When you base your decisions and your choices and your options as to what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what brings people close to Allah Azza wa jal, what can I do that will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your children will see that from you. So as they grow up, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to choosing paths and making choices, they will know subconsciously. They will know that it's something ingrained within them, that in their family, this is what how things were done. This is the way that we used to arrive at conclusions, at the way that we used to arrive at decisions. We would factor this in, along with, yes, everything else as well, but this would be the major factor that we would think about. And that is how the Prophet educated his companions, by example, by letting them see his decision-making process so that they could understand, and no one could ever doubt that the Prophet ever did anything except because it was pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the companions, when they did what they did, no one could ever have any doubt that the actions that they took and the decisions that they made were ones that they sincerely believed were the ones that would bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everyone's human, everyone makes mistakes. And the scholars of Islam, the opinions that they held, the positions that they took, they sincerely believed that it was the correct position that would bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when that's the case, and that's the way you think, then it's something which seeps into the people around you. And they understand that's the factor. And that's how you change practices that are incorrect. Practices that may be innovations or practices that are far away from the Sunnah All of those things don't change when you just have a rant or you say something but people see in your own self that it's not necessarily something which you hold as an ideal as a principle as something that you yourself firmly believe in It's only when you lead by example and people see that and as we know the Prophet told us When you do something for the pleasure of Allah Allah is pleased and the people will become pleased the people will be pleased that doesn't mean immediately by the way doesn't mean straight away because the Prophet sallallahu didn't die until the whole of the Arabs were happy with him more or less they accepted him but was it immediate was it something which happened no. straight away no it took time and it took effort and it took perseverance and it took many years of sacrifice but ultimately the Prophet as we see in this Surah, is given that reward, and is given that good good news and those glad tidings that this is what your efforts have all resulted in. So this is um, just something which I which I wanted to draw upon in terms of not only, and I, honestly, I it wasn't like about even the issue of my father's funeral, rahimahullah. <laughs> May Allah have mercy upon all of our parents that have passed away. Show his mercy and blessings upon them and grant them the highest levels of Jannah. And for those of us that our parents are still living with Allah, جل, grant us the ability to serve them in a manner which they deserve and in a way that makes them pleased with us. And more importantly, Allah جل, pleased with us. It wasn't even about that, but it was about the context of the surah and what Allah is telling the Prophet to prepare for. And because that's what we are preparing. Because the Prophet, as we said, when he came to death, he said that it's from the best of reminders. So if you're not reminded, we don't take lessons, we don't take heed, we don't take benefit, doesn't jolt you awake, then really people pass away, people that are close to you and you go back into the same grind, the same routine, nothing changes, you haven't really benefited. And a sign of true love, a sign of true love for the people that you hold dear, the people that you want to be with, the people that you're going to miss dearly, the people that you uh want to have eternity with the sign of that true love is that you do everything in your power and ability to ensure that inshaAllah that happens through your actions through your deeds through your character through the sadaqa jari those avenues that we, that we mentioned in the hadith everything that's in your possible realms of capability because remember especially when it comes to your parents especially when it comes to them every good deed that you do they have a part of that reward if they were the ones who put you on that path and they're the ones that helped you and they're the ones that encouraged you and they're the ones that facilitated it for you even if they didn't play that active role but they facilitated it for you and they were happy for you and they wanted you to do it they have a share of that reward and Allah is all forgiving and all merciful Allah is forgiving and merciful so even if they didn't play the active role Allah jal, inshallah, will give them a share of that reward for the efforts that you put in and that should make you do even more not less. Should make you take two steps forward instead of one, step backwards. Should make you actually go faster and harder rather than slower because now you've become despondent and you're despairing or you're thinking, what's the point or whatever it may be. It is those deeds that eventually will help a person on yawm al qiyamah. And I want to finish with the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, it's mentioned in a couple of narrations, uh, and there is some difference of opinion. I, from what I remember about its authenticity, but nevertheless the hadith in which the Prophet said that a person will come on the Day of Judgment and they will be presented with their deeds and they will see them and they will recognize them. And then they will be told that they have other deeds that they will be presented with, but they won't recognize them. They don't see them, they don't know them. And they will say, oh Allah, these don't belong to me. And it will be said, but rather this is for the forgiveness that your child sought for you. That's what those are. That's their actions. You have a share of that reward, and that's what it's about. So we have in this religion the amazing mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal about leaving a legacy. That when you plan something, be it in knowledge, be it in children, be it in sadaqah Jariyah, every single person that benefits for generations to come, no matter how how many generations until Allah wills, you have a share of that reward. So when we quote in Tafsir Imam Al Tabari Ibn Kathir. Ibn Abbas, even before these scholars, the companions, Ibn Abbas, Hassan, al Hassan al-Basri, all of those people. What are we doing? We are benefiting from their legacy. We're learning this now in Birmingham 2019. They have a share of that reward because they put that time effort in. And they never saw the fruits, but Allah has preserved it for them and they will see it in full on of qiyamah. So when you have that determination to do the same thing, you, you pass it on to your children, their children, their children. Then, inshallah, that's how you create that legacy. That's how, you, and it is one of the greatest legacies that you can leave behind. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So, inshallah, I think we're going to stop there. Um, I think uh, if if everyone's okay with it, we won't take any questions for today. And we'll stop there. Inshallah, next week we'll come back to the final. Yes, next week the the timing changes for Isha. It is. Eight. Seven, like, less than eight. So uh, Salat Al-Isha in the Masjid will be 7.30pm for those of you here. And so we'll start the class for those of you online 8pm, inshallah. And that will be for the next couple of weeks and then the timings will, will probably change again. Barak Allah Fikum. Wa sallallahu alaykum. Wa sallallahu Wa sallallahu alaikum Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallamu Wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.